us pray. Lord, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Every Christian has a personal testimony. But you might not feel like yours is all that spectacular. Some are very dramatic. I remember listening to one of the most dramatic testimonies I had heard was by a man named Harvey Turner. Harvey was involved with a youth group when he was young, but he kind of flunked out and knew he didn't fit in with the church youth group. So he drifted away. He had a rough childhood, abused as a child. His life was filled with anger and despair, and he was turning everywhere he could to find something transcendent. And he found it in drugs. He turned to what he saw as a more accepting group, which was a gang of drug dealers. He lived at the party house where all the drugs were funneled in and funneled out. He continued this life through much of his teenage years into adulthood until one day when he nearly died. He was visiting a club with some of his friends and they got into a gang argument rivalry and some gunshots started ringing out in the club. He ran out the door with his friend to get into his car. One thing led to another until he was running for his life to be confronted at this intersection of roads by police officers with their guns drawn. He was taken to jail and in jail he saw where his life was headed. He was in the food line, taking his food next to some hardened criminals. And meanwhile, he had a one-year-old son at home. And he knew at that point that he couldn't continue this life any longer. And all he could remember was the lyrics from one of the rap songs that he had memorized, which said, when you're in doubt, read Proverbs. So when he went home the next day, he started to read Proverbs. Now, I mean, right there already, I'm struggling to see how the Lord is going to use this all in this drug dealers who's turning the book of Proverbs suddenly to be enlightened. But from Proverbs, it led him to the Psalms. And from the Psalms, he kept wondering, well, wait a second, where's Jesus? I've learned about Jesus as a child, I know he's in here. Where is he? And finally, he stumbled on these stories of Jesus in the Gospels. And he's going through these stories. He realizes, this is amazing. Jesus isn't anything like what I thought he was. In fact, he finds in the story of Jesus, God spending time reaching out to people just like him. Up to this point, he was convinced that being in church was only for people who had it all together. Only for people who, who looked like they had it all together, who dressed nice, who had a nice home, who had a nice family. But now he's finding Jesus visiting people just like him. So he started going to church. He started to go to every church event he could go to as if this was his recovery program from unbelief. But he knew it didn't quite look right. He didn't quite fit in with his dreadlocks and his tattoos. And, but he kept going. 
And soon he decided to start a Bible study. And for whatever reason, he decided he was going to start it at the party house. He still was in touch with these people. And so he brought in his Bible and he asked him, could he use the party house for a Bible study? And shocking to all of us, they said, sure. And so pretty soon he's sitting at a party house with a bunch of drug dealers doing Bible study and talking about Jesus. From there, it grew. Over two years, he continued to have that Friday night Bible study. It moved to a new location to the point where there were over 60 people attending and they had outgrown this house they were in. And he said, I think I accidentally started a church. How long has it been since you've hung out with someone who is not a Christian? And not just hung out with them, but actually took the time to think and care about them where they're at. We're looking at the series in the Gospel of John, how God brings a personal word to us. And now looking at John the Baptist in verse 19, it says, this is the testimony of John. Today's sermon is about that personal testimony that John gives about what he knows of interacting with Jesus. He brings that testimony out into the wilderness, in the desert, where people are far away from Jerusalem. And where does he lead them? It begins with some religious figures coming from Jerusalem. The Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? In other words, they're saying, who do you think you are? John has gathered quite a following out in the wilderness, not in Jerusalem. And John has no sanction or approval from the religious authorities that normally are in charge of overseeing every movement and every religious expression of Judaism from their hometown in Jerusalem. We need an answer, they say, because people have sent us to find out what you're doing and we have to report back to them. How much can a church become too focused on ourselves that we lose sight of what's going on out in the wilderness? We can become so inwardly focused with either squabbling between each other or problems in our own lives or just judgment about ourselves sitting in the pews that we lose sight of what's going on out in the wilderness. And here is John the Baptist out in the wilderness with a bunch of people. Nobody really knows who they are. Crowds of people coming out to hear from him, to hear his preaching and to be baptized. And the church sits back and says, well, I'm not sure that this fits what we're trying to do here. What is John's answer to that? He says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. You notice John is in a place called Bethany, which is another Bethany across the Jordan. He's out in the wild. And he's saying that he's a voice crying out. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 40, where Isaiah says, Comfort, comfort my people. 
People need to be comforted. Isaiah says, cry out to them that their warfare is ended. People need an end to the warfare. Isaiah says, declare to them that they have received from the Lord double for all their sins, meaning twice as much what John calls grace upon grace. And it's right out there in the wilderness because Isaiah's thinking of a time that's coming in his day, long ago, where the people are captives, where they've been through war, and they've been taken out of their homes, driven away into a place called Babylon. When are they ever going to get to come back home to God? Every Christian has a testimony. Because I believe every one of you has been in the wilderness in one way or another. In one way or another, you are going to go through experiences in your life which put you outside of the comfortable surroundings you're used to and into places that are wild and uncomfortable. Every one of those trials, every one of those experiences is a way for the Lord to show you the testimony of Jesus Christ. A voice crying out in the wilderness is trying to tell you in those moments, be comforted. The Lord is bringing an end to the warfare. He's giving you double for what you deserve. Double the grace, double the forgiveness, double the love. (coughs) Say to Zion, behold, our God reigns, Isaiah says. Even in those times of captivity or suffering or pain, those are the times when the testimony becomes most real. I used to wonder sometimes, what's my testimony? I read one article about a personal testimony. It said that everyone had to have three points. Your life before Jesus, how you came to know Jesus, And then what your life is after receiving Jesus. And I look at that and say, well, I've known Jesus my whole life. I can't remember a time before Jesus because I've grown up in the church. How could I tell this great contrast between your life before Jesus? Because my contrast has taken decades to start to grow into maturity and fruition. And I imagine a lot of you have a similar story that it's a lifelong journey of change, which means that the personal testimony doesn't have to be as dramatic as Harvey Turner. I'm not trying to tell you right now you need to go out and start a Bible study in a drug dealer's house. In fact, uh, there's reasons why God chose Harvey Turner to do that and not David Pfeiffer. But it shows us something else that Uh, You have all of those moments and stories in your life if you pay attention. Everyone has a story. And sometimes it's to be thankful that you didn't go through a childhood like Harvey Turner's. To be grateful for what you do have. To be grateful for those moments every day where the Lord is working his blessings. John went out into the wilderness because he wanted to find people away from Jerusalem who remembered their story because your little stories are all part of a bigger story. The wilderness reminds us of Moses 
leading the people out of Egypt and into the promised land. But they're in the wilderness for a long time. And the wilderness is after their redemption. So redemption happens in Egypt. They're rescued, set free, and yet the suffering continues for 40 years. So we should not think that the journey of being a Christian means redemption and all of a sudden things are better. Or things are perfect. Or things are happy all the time. No, it means that no matter what the circumstances, you find Jesus. Prepare the way of the Lord. What was John's testimony really all about? John's testimony and Harvey's testimony is really all about Jesus. It's not about how dramatic the story is in your life. It's about how dramatic Jesus is. John would spend his time telling the people first about Isaiah's prophecy of what's coming, the voice crying in the wilderness. Then he would tell the people to repent, so turn away from the evil, the sins that you have been filling your life with, and turn toward the Lord. And then the third part was he would point them to Jesus, the one coming after him, the one whose testimony this is really all about, the one who is greater than John. At one point, the Pharisees get into a big debate with the disciples of John about baptism. It's in chapter 3. It says that they got into a discussion about purification, which is washings, different kinds of rituals and ceremonial washings, and how they cleanse us from sin. And in the midst of that debate, the disciples of John are getting all caught up in the discussion. Well, you know, how should we do this washing? Are we doing it right? Why is Jesus over here washing, but John is also washing? And, you know, sometimes churches can get caught up in those debates to the point that we lose sight of what really matters, the bigger picture. Should a person be sprinkled in baptism? Should a person be dunked in baptism? Should a person have the water poured on them? We could get all caught up into that debate about methods for baptism, and John says, wait a second. I'm just baptizing with water. That's what he tells them. I'm just baptizing with water, however you want to look with that. But there's someone coming after me that's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And if you don't see the connection between the water I'm using and the spirit that he's bringing, how you do it doesn't matter. He basically tells his disciples to stop looking at John and turn and look at Jesus. The one coming after him. And the last thing he says is, he must increase and I must decrease. All of our testimony really is about increasing Jesus and decreasing ourselves. Jesus' increase is so much greater than anything we could say about ourselves. But the mystery of his increase is that Jesus' increase was not about going up. It was about going down. The increase of Jesus' goodness, his hope, his joy, his love, was about him going down. Which is why John points out, John says, you should be baptizing me, but now I'm baptizing Jesus. 
So Jesus goes down into the water with all of us, all of us dirty sinners. He takes on human flesh with all of us, human sinners, goes down into the water with all of us. And he comes up from that water to take on himself all of our warfare, all of our trials, all of our sins. And he carries it on to the cross. That's why John preached this sermon. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Every Christian has a personal testimony. Because every one of us can tell the personal story of how we've sinned. But how the Lamb of God laid down his life as a sacrifice. John is probably teaching the people to think back to the story of Abraham, their story, where their story all began with Abraham, where God told Abraham to go up on a mountain and sacrifice his son. And in that story, we know every one of us really deserves to be Isaac, to be the son that sacrificed. We all don't deserve to have life. But before that last moment happens where the son's life is taken, God says, wait. And Abraham looks, and there in a bush is a ram caught in the thorns. And then we look to the cross, and we see the lamb which God provides caught in the thicket of the crown of thorns. And there he is for us, the lowliest and the least redeeming us from every sin and every evil. This is the one who comes at Advent. This is the one who comes at Christmas. This is the one who gives us these personal testimonies. You know, Bill Harris had a lot of personal testimonies. And as we had our funeral this last week, I was reminded of so many of his stories. And if any of you went over and visited Bill, you knew he liked to tell stories. And some of you might have gone and, and sang to him in his house. I remember that last uh, Christmas time where the kids came and they sang songs to Bill. And then right at the end, after the kids were all finished, then Bill sings a song. And here's this guy in his 80s who's been through so much in his life. And he still remembers the words to all those songs. And one of his favorite songs was, It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others he'll do for you. With arms wide open, he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. And he'd sing that song to me almost every time I went to visit him. But he wouldn't just sing the song, then he would sing the song and tell a story of how God worked in a moment in his life to help him, rescue him, strengthen him, get him through something. It is no secret what God can do. And I would encourage you then to think back on that when you have your head on your pillow at night and think of those moments where God is working, God is intervening, the goodness of God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen.